Hi guys, welcome to episode 3 of the Renegade Movement Performance Podcast. I'm Kyle. And I'm Lex. And today we're hosting Allie Wells, a friend of ours, um, who is now practicing in the public health arena, and we're going to let her introduce herself. Go ahead, Allie. So hey everyone, I'm Allie, like Kyle just said. I went to Utica College with both Alexis and Kyle. We graduated together in our DPT class back in May of 2019. Um, I am currently out working at the University of Vermont in upstate New York. I know it's through Vermont, but I'm working in New York. I'm like about 40-ish minutes from Lake Placid. Um, So I'm working there full-time, and I also am doing a part-time job through the NPTE Final Frontier, which is a prep program for people that are going to be sitting for the national boards exam for physical therapists. And I've been doing that since about August. And I'm happy to be on here today. I forgot that you did that. Yeah. Are you going to CSM with them? No, I'm not going to CSM, hopefully next year. Um, But yeah. That's super exciting, Ellie. And as far as your job goes, you know, you have a pretty cool story about how you got to where you are. And for all the PT students listening, I think it would be nice to hear your story about how you landed in pelvic health and, you know, all that jazz. So if you guys hear stuff in the background, it's my dogs. Um, It's Leo. (laughs) He's coming to say hi. Um, But so I, so my, my main passion, I guess, is pelvic health. And I became pretty interested in pelvic health during um, physical therapy school. Um, I just have always been very intrigued by helping um, this population, whether it's with incontinence or pelvic pain or postpartum. And I actually brought it up to one of my mentors in school, Jim Smith. And he told me, he was just like, well, Allie, if it's something that interests you, I think you got to go for it. So he set me up, he set me up with a, uh, almost a shadow with Wendy Featherstone, who was the past APTA Women's Health President. He was friends with her at the time. And um, he linked us up via email and I went out and shadowed Wendy at her clinic. She's out in Rochester, New York. And I loved it. And essentially we set up a clinical that I could go out there for 12 weeks and basically learn everything from both her and her colleague, Jen Morin. And so I did that for 12 weeks. That was right before I graduated. And I really fell in love with the fields. And so now when I graduated, I was pretty positive I wanted to continue with pelvic health because it really was my passion. So I am right now doing 50% orthopedics at my current job, which is basically like your typical shoulders, knees, um, that you would think of. And then I also am doing about 50% pelvic health there as well. So it's a nice mix. And so you said it's 50% orthopedic and 50% pelvic health. And it's actually a good point because the line's a little bit blurred there, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So, I mean, if you talk to anybody that does pelvic health, they'll pretty much tell you that it is orthopedics to the pelvic floor. Um, it's all the same concepts. You're just applying it to smaller muscles uh, that are located in your pelvic floor. So as far as pelvic health goes, Allie, what types of diagnoses do you typically treat? So I right now I am currently treating women and children 
um, or really anybody from three years of age and up. Um, I haven't been trained yet or haven't taken the additional coursework for men, which I plan to do so. But right now I'm, ma- I'm mainly treating um, women and kids and I'm treating pretty much anything that you can think of that would go under the realm of pelvic health. So that would include stress incontinence, urging continence, um, pelvic pain, um, postpartum um, pain, um, getting back to exercise after postpartum, um, diastasis recti. Um, those are probably the main things I see. I also see some constipation, especially in um, kiddos. Um, but those are probably the main things I see. And I also will treat some SI, which is, can be related also to the pelvic floor. Now, do you see a lot of people who fall within the 20 to 50-year-old sports performance demographic? Actually, I would say right now I have a pretty younger population that I'm treating right now, um, and they all are actually postpartum. I would say I have four four on my caseload right now that are postpartum and want to get back to um, being an athlete and whatever that may be at this point, if it's I have one that's in CrossFit. I have one that just wants to get back to running. I have one that wants to get back to yoga. And I have one that just wants to get back to like her daily exercise routine, which was kind of, she would walk and she would do like, um, low level type of like strengthening exercises. Um, so I do will say, I do see a a pretty good younger population that are kind of more on the athletes. Um, but I kind of see throughout the lifespan, but that's kind of what I'm seeing right now. And how are these people getting referred to your clinic? Um, so the majority of the time they're getting referred, um, by their midwife or their OBGYN. Um, I would say that's probably about like 80% of what I'm seeing. Um, sometimes, um, like a primary care will refer, um, and sometimes it'll be from like a urologist, but, uh, that's kind of what I'm seeing right now. So have you ever had people come in and say, you know, I never really knew that this existed? Oh, all the time. Uh, I sometimes will actually, they'll call the clinic and they'll say, so I have a script for pelvic floor physical therapy. Can this help me? Is this a thing? And the receptionist like laughs and says, yes, of course. Um, I can't accurately describe it. Can I have Ali give you a call back? And so they'll write down their number and I'll give them a call back and I'll kind of like go through like how this can be helpful for them. And then they'll be like, oh, yes, can I make an appointment? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I'll send them back up to the receptionist so that they can schedule. So it happens all the time. Yeah, I kind of figured that. Yeah. And even they'll just come in and be like, I don't know if I should be here. I don't know how this is going to help. And um, I would say my first my first appointment is always a lot of education. Yeah, I really feel like that's a big part of our job. And Kyle and I, for everyone listening, you know, um, we're about to take the first Herman and Wallace class. Allie, have you taken the first and the second Herman and Wallace class? Uh, So I've only taken the first Herman and Wallace, uh, but I plan to take the second one in May, and that's where you can start to treat men. Yeah, so Allie has been able to treat women since she started. And Kyle and I are going to that same class in Boston in April, so we're super excited because... Hearing Allie talk is like kind of hearing like what our future is going to be like. And it's super exciting because right now I feel like when we're in the clinic, you know, postpartum women come in and they have low back pain and we just feel like we're missing an entire component of our exam because obviously that's important. 
the fact that they've had three kids and now they have back pain. And some of them you can tell, right? It's like, you check that box, check this box, and you know that everything's good and the only thing that's missing is that bowl of muscles in their pelvis. That deep hip pain or that SI pain or low back pain or whatever else is coming from a multitude of factors, sure, but definitely the pelvic floor is at least correlated, right, if right. not causal. Um, I get that all the time too. That They'll come in and they'll be like, oh, and I'm also having this back pain. And I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll address all that. So that's kind of a good launch pad for us to talk about. Uh, how does the pelvic floor relate to back pain? Um, how does it relate to performance? How do you discuss that with patients and how you frame that in your mind? So a lot of the times, well, how I'll explain it and I will, it's almost, um, so your diaphragm, which is your respiratory muscle, um, that is the, the top of, I think they usually call it like a barrel. If you think about it, your the diaphragm is the top of the barrel. And then the middle section is your abdominals. And there's one muscle called the transversus abdominis that almost wraps around your body like a corset. Um, and the bottom of that barrel is the pelvic floor. Um, and they fun- they truly function together. And so when there is a missing piece, or if let's say your pelvic floor is um, weaker, or it is has muscle tension, um, it affects how that whole entire system works. So if that pelvic floor is not able to work optimally, it's going to affect your um, abdominal muscles. It can even affect how you're breathing and your breathing mechanics. Um, so it's all super interrelated. Uh, interrelated. And um, so sometimes, you know, they'll have back pain because of there's some hip musculature that sits right near the top of the pelvic floor. And the only real way that you can actually um, palpate it or really treat it is if you're treating the pelvic floor. So it, it, it all really interlinks. Yeah, that's a great analogy, Ellie. Uh, we talk about the barrel and you know the lid of it being the diaphragm and the bottom being the pelvic floor and the abdominals surrounding it. And if we can contract one part, maybe relax the other in synchrony with it, um, that creates that pressure for us, pushes against the spine. And that's really what we're talking about. When we talk about core stabilization. It keeps everything nice and locked in for us. So great analogy, Ellie. And talk about the core. And, you know, we just kind of feel uh, a little limited right now when talking to patients. Great, great. You're like, and there's this other part that... <laughs> that we can't address just yet, especially in this setting, but it's important. And here's this list of resources and things that can help you and a uh, list of providers and like our friend Allie. Yeah, and I had a woman come into the clinic the other day, and she's had three cesarean births, one set being twins, and she asked me about my opinion on an abdominoplasty, and for anyone who's listening, that just means a tummy tuck procedure, and I just was not prepared to have that conversation because I don't have the formal education in that field, and, you know, she deserves better than that, so I compiled a big list for her you know, about different resources that she could use, providers she could see. And, you know, it just makes me more excited to be able to attend that course because we will have something to go on and we will be able to educate our patients. Well, there's things definitely you can work on. Like if you're sitting there listening to this podcast thinking, oh, shoot, I might have some of those things that I need to work on. Um, Yes, seeking a pelvic health specialist is a great opportunity and I highly recommend that, obviously. Uh, But 
even without seeing a formal specialist, just a PT can help you, or um, there's a lot of online resources available as well. But basically, um, and I've seen a lot of people, Ali, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's been a lot of people, we don't ever do any sort of internal work. Uh, I'm not yet a pelvic health specialist. And yet if we can learn how to properly breathe, pressurize and apply that to functional lifting daily activity positions, things can self-correct. Um, even without any of the, you know, internal work and pelvic health specialty. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Ali, a question I did want to ask you is, say somebody listening to this podcast is thinking, you know, maybe I do have some of these problems. Uh, I do have that incontinence. I do have that leaking when I'm doing double unders. Or even if they don't have leaking or pain or any kind of problems per se, but they're thinking, you know, I just had three kids or I had this complicated pregnancy or whatever it might be. And they're just curious about their performance um, or maybe they're in pain, whatever it might be. Right. And they are thinking about seeking a pelvic health specialist. Um, what would you kind of say to them if they were kind of like, I know I need to maybe do this is a good option for me, but I'm a little bit fearful and what's going to happen here. So I would say, I mean, the first visit it- at least go get, get checked out and go to the first visit. Cause a lot of the times the first visit is really just, you know, going through your current symptoms um, and listening to how, however, whatever this may, this problem is, whatever it may be, how it is affecting you, whether in your performance, your daily life. Um, and that's the big, big piece um, is just listening to the patient. And I can determine a lot by just listening. Um, I would say probably my first session with somebody, I'm listening more than I'm talking. And it's just because I can gain so much more information. And then after that is a lot of education. And for nothing else, go for the education, for learning about what your pelvic floor is and how it can be contributing to your performance or how it may be hindering your performance in any way. Um, go for the education because you can even just, just from the education alone, you can start to add things into your daily life. Um, and I really do a pretty gross assessment on the first day, which means I look at your strength. I look at your mobility. I look at your, your functional ability. Um, like if you're telling me that you notice that you're having problems with your squatting, I look at that the first visit and I kind of go from there. And from that, I develop a plan and I, I develop a plan with the patient. I think this goes for many pelvic floor, uh, physical therapist, um, is that we go through a plan with the patient and say like, Hey, I think that this, this, this would be really beneficial to you. What do you think? Um, so I, I get that a lot too, is that they'll say that they're super nervous to come to the first visit, but the first visit is just getting to know each other and learning about how I can help you and how we can get there. So, and so you recently started CrossFit not too long ago, right? I did. And what's your experience been with that? Oh, I've loved it. Um, I go to, it's called JRC CrossFit. I started back in, oh, it was probably the beginning of November. Um, I've, I was an athlete in high school. Um, I wasn't in college. I mostly studied and did my own type of stuff at the gym. Um, but I love the group workouts. It's such a motivation. It's, um, it keeps you going. I also love that when I get off of work. I just go there and I don't have to think. It's just like the workout was planned. I'm there. Everyone has this high level of energy to get the workout done. Um, 
I love it. So I'm super glad I joined. And I know that part of that was because of you and uh, you and Lex. So so I think Kyle started bringing up the CrossFit realm because, you know, you're talking about these functional lifts that you're using. And I think it was you and I who originally were talking about the double unders and that woman with the video and she was peeing during double unders and everyone was cheering for her. Yes. Um, you know, while that is super common, it's not normal. So what have you seen in the clinic? Have you seen that in the clinic? Um, so it's actually funny, uh, at CrossFit, um, one of the girls was like laughing cause we were doing, they were doing double unders and she was just like, well, I just had a kid. I'm going to pee during this. And you know, I like put my physical therapist hat on for a second. I was like, well, you don't have to. <laughs> I'm like, just because you do this doesn't mean it's normal. I was just like, you can get evaluated by a pelvic floor PT. And she like laughed. And then she asked me about it because she had no idea. Um, she knew I was a, she knew I was a physical therapist, but she had no idea what pelvic floor was or that I was a pelvic floor physical therapist. So it was like a whole like education thing. And then everyone else was like, oh, and then like, I do this. Is this normal? And I was like, well, <laughs> you really shouldn't pee at all when you exercise. <laughs> Box jump should not be a time where you're peeing your pants. Right. right. I was like, really? Like, you should be able to go the entire exercise without leaking anything. Um, so, did she uh, Did she become a patient then? Um, so she actually was going, she was going to her OBGYN in like at the beginning of January. Um, and she did get a referral, but I haven't seen her in yet. So um, soon, hopefully. hopefully, soon, hopefully, <laughs> we're pretty busy at the clinic. So hopefully, we'll we'll see her soon. As far as positions go, while we're on the topic, how can uh, pelvic health physical therapy help people in certain positions with CrossFit? Or can it help in all positions, or are there certain ones? What kind of movements can it help you maybe PR or uh, increase your performance on? Well, I mean, I think a pelvic floor physical therapist can really essentially help you with any of the type of lifting that you're doing um, or any of, or any of really of the, of the workouts that you're doing. Um, Cause I think we might've touched on it before is a, a big portion of it can be just breathing dynamics and how, how you're breathing through the lift or how you're breathing during um, box jumps or, um, how you're stabilizing yourself during those, those lifts or during, um, those certain movements. And those are all things that a pelvic floor physical therapist can look at and then help you either change your, your body mechanics slightly or change how you're breathing during it. Um, cause when someone comes in the clinic and I, I actually recently just had somebody that, um, she wants to get back to CrossFit. She had her baby at the end of September and she had some complications afterwards. And, um, she actually said that she had a, a problem with doing, um, overhead squats, um, before pregnancy or before she was even pregnant. And now she was like, I don't know how I'm going to go back to them. Um, and we started doing them in the clinic and I started looking at them and the entire time, um, you could almost see that her, uh, her abdominal, um, she was, um, she was doming during it. Uh, she was, her, her abdominals were doming during it. So we essentially ended up working on a lot of core stabilization first. And I, and then once we worked on that core stabilization, we went back to it to take a look at it. And the abdominal doming was so much better. I always find that that's an interesting thing in the clinic because you have these, um, 
you know, any age athletes, and they talk about how, well, they know how to brace their core. They do lots of sit-ups and they have a good course. They have good core strength. Right. And you go through just, you know, simple abdominal bracing with like a leg slide or a leg fallout. And, and they don't lose that core contraction for, the entire time. That. Sometimes people are supine hook lying. You ask them to lift their head off the table. And yeah. It's like, yeah. Right. They're doming or their pelvic is rotating and they're not, they're not stable at all. Oh, so um, and that's we should probably say for the the person listening to this. So doming, um, go ahead, Allie, talk to us about what doming means, what we're talking about here. Um, so if you ever saw like a abdominal doming is basically when the core is not able to be as stable. And when you will look, you'll almost see a, um, a, a dome in your abdomen, in your belly. And it's usually along, um, the center. Um, and that can be due to, how you're engaged, how you're inaccurately gauging your core, especially if you're not engaging that deeper abdominal muscle, uh, your transversus abdominis. If that's not engaged, I'll often see somebody having abdominal doming. Um, and to me, it really kind of speaks to where you're putting that pressure, right? Right. <laughs> is it uniformly diverted across your abdomen or is it blowing out that one spot? Right. Yeah. And I've also seen, you know, I think it's it's important to talk about breathing because when you lift or when you're attempting to brace your core, it doesn't mean that you stop breathing. breathing. And I think that sometimes, <laughs> hopefully. yeah, hopefully, I think that sometimes that's confused. You know, for a heavy lift, a one rep max, yes, you may stop breathing because you are doing that Valsalva to get that weight off the ground. Fine. However, I don't think that, you know, that should you're be doing- used in that one scenario. You shouldn't live in that realm. Um, well, it's a matching game, right? right? So it's like if you are lifting your one rep max, maybe that's an appropriate strategy, although even then. Um, but lifting a five-pound water bottle or something, your backpack, whatever, off the ground, <laughs> should not be a Valsalva. Right? Yeah, we should have veins that. popping no, out of our neck. No. Or if you're doing something where you're repetitively lifting throughout a workout, you shouldn't be holding your breath every single time you do a lift. Right. And that ties back into performance too, right? So if you're doing that, beyond losing out on stability – not getting oxygenated air back into your blood and then into your muscles and so you're going to lose performance there and feel like you're going to pass out your well, fran right. time will not improve and i think that it goes without saying that activating the transverse abdominis and having that appropriate core stabilization is harder than it, it sounds um no you have to start at the ground level i mean supine laying on your back you have to start there because if you start in your squat if you start in your deadlift that's likely too much demand if you don't have any idea what, what we're talking about when we say core stabilization. And it's different than that six-pack, like I said before. So when we first introduce that movement in the clinic, we're always starting on the back. We're always starting at the lowest demand possible and slowly progressing. Because if you can't hold that core stabilization with, like Kyle said, a simple head lift, you know, what makes you think that you can lift a 100-pound squat with that or more? Um yeah, and that brings up a good point, too, actually. So, like, if you think about some of the most elite athletes in whatever field, but since we're talking about CrossFit, we'll talk about that, right? Like, um, well, let's not name any specific names, but there are people who are games-level athletes who are coming in the first or top ten even um, at the CrossFit Games every year, and you look at their movement patterns, and it's like, oh, my gosh, how is this person doing it? And essentially, the best athletes compensate the best, but yeah. imagine if those same athletes fix their stuff and didn't compensate how much better would they be right 
Like you can be really, really good without having the best strategy. But imagine how good you could be if you had the best strategy. So So it's not like, you know, people who can't even do like a PVC snatch or something or a PVC overhead squat. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people who might be able to snatch 315 or something. But yet they still are having these problems or there might be leaking on their double unders, but they can smoke you on, you know, their double under time, whatever it is, right? So just because somebody's good at something doesn't mean they don't still have maybe probably some dysfunction or um, some things they could work on or they're leaving performance on the table, let's say. Yeah, I do like how you said that, leaving performance on the table. So Allie, that woman that you were talking about at your CrossFit box, the one that was leaking during double unders. Yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about what treatment for that looks like? So yeah, after the eval and after we kind of talked, so usually what I like to do, at least on the second visit, is I do like to do an internal exam. Um, And basically what that is, is I'm actually able to touch and assess the pelvic floor. Um, and that gives me a better idea on what, what the pelvic floor is doing. What is the pelvic floor strength? We're able to actually grade the pelvic floor on a zero to five scale. Zero is no muscle contraction versus five is like, uh, the strongest pelvic floor muscle contraction you can think of. And I'm able to grade it on that scale, um, from zero to five. And that just gives us a baseline of where we're starting. But if let's just say hypothetically, if someone was coming in with a, like they had a pelvic floor um, strength of a three out of five. Basically, what that means is they're only able to bring their pelvic floor up against gravity and then they let it go. Um, so that's not a very strong pelvic floor per se. So you have to think about how is that going to how how is that going to be when somebody is doing something like double unders? Are they going to be able to hold against that pressure? Probably not, and that's probably why um, they're leaking. Um, but even with just looking at someone's muscle strength, that is great. I also really like to look at just what is their pelvic floor range of motion? How is their pelvic floor moving? Um, and what is their pelvic floor tension? Do they, are they holding tension? Because if they're holding tension, they're not going to be able to have a very good muscle contraction. Um, and that can also interfere with performance. Um, and also when I'm, so I, those are the three main things, I guess, is I look at muscle strength. I look at what is the muscle range of motion, and I also look at is there any muscular tension. Um, And kind of based on those three things, I'm able to better um, kind of go over what the future plan of care is. Um, But if someone's coming in for – they're coming in for stress incontinence, and that's all it is, and that is their pelvic floor is weak, um, and that would be someone that has that, like, three out of five pelvic floor contraction. Um, then I'm looking at like, okay, well, let's make this functional. Let's make your pelvic floor stronger by doing things that you functionally do throughout your day. So I know a lot of people know, probably hear the term Kegel. Um, and when I say Kegel, I'm, that is the same thing as a pelvic floor contraction. Um, they're the same exact thing. Um, it's just that what we use is we call it a pelvic floor contraction. Um, but you'll hear often called as a Kegel. So I will have them start doing Kegels in functional positions. So um, usually we start pretty basic, so laying down. And then once you master a Kegel and laying down, then we're doing it in more functional positions like standing and sitting. And once you master it in standing and sitting, then we're adding in to squats. We're adding in when you cough and you sneeze. We're adding it into jump ropes. And the goal is, is 
not that every single time that you go and do an exercise and every single time you're squatting, I want you to be like, okay, think about this. I need to squeeze my pelvic floor and then I need to let it relax. And then I need to do another pelvic floor contraction. I need it to relax. That's not the end game. That's not what our, my end goal is for you. My end goal is for you is that you um, start to automatically, your body just turns on when you start to do those movements. But in order to do that, you need to start practicing it. And once you practice it, it's going to become a habit. And then it's just going to automatically turn on when you do those movements. And you're not going to be leaking anymore. Or at least that's the goal. Yeah, and that's the same thing for any other PTs or movement coaches, CrossFit coach, whatever you're doing, if you're a personal trainer. If somebody's coming to you with shoulder pain, you might need to cue them a lot on how to move their shoulder blade with different shoulder movements in order to kind of reduce that pain and optimize their movement pattern. And so that might take a lot of verbal cueing, tactile cueing, whatever else, a lot of internal focus on how that is moving in the moment. But the goal there is the same in that after a certain amount of time, we're going to try to translate that over to becoming more of an automatic subconscious movement that you don't have to think about as you're moving your shoulder. Same thing with Oli lifts. Like when you're first learning them, you're going to have to be very acutely aware of what your knee is doing, how your shoulder position is, you know, are you bracing your core enough or whatever else, but eventually they become reflexive and innate. And after three, four years or however long it takes you, you just kind of pick up a bar and do the lift. You're not really thinking about it that much. And that's the same goal with that core stabilization. You know, the goal is never to have someone actively contract their core all day long, and that's all they're ever going to do. You know, you start to realize that it feels good when you do it, and this is your brain, obviously, and it just ends up doing it automatically. It's not like, we're going to walk around and contract our core all day, and then we're going to do a Kegel too. You know, it just feels good, and it becomes this automatic thing that you don't need to think about. Yeah, and talking about core and kegels and stuff like that becoming reflexive uh we've talked about kegels a lot or pelvic floor contractions um Allie, can you talk to us a little bit about what a proper kegel should be like because i think a lot of people have some confusion about what a kegel should be so a kegel or a pelvic floor contraction um the verbal cues that i will give a patient is um if you were trying to imagine that you're trying to stop the flow of urine um, don't actually do it. I don't want you to go to the bathroom and see if you can um, stop your flow of urine because um, that has actually been shown to be um, kind of counterproductive because essentially, long story short, is you're telling your brain not to go to the bathroom when you're trying to go to the bathroom. Um, but trying to imagine that in your head, trying to imagine uh, if you're trying to stop the flow of urine and it almost should kind of feel like your pelvic floor is lifting. Um and if you can kind of feel that your pelvic floor is lifting, um, then you're probably doing it correctly. But that is also a lot of times um, I'll have women just come in and say, hey, I, I just had a baby. They're telling me to do Kegels. I don't know if I'm doing it correctly. Can you can you tell me if I am? And um, during an internal assessment, we can most definitely make sure that you're doing a Kegel correctly. Um, and if you're not, then we can teach you. But that's usually the verbal cue I'll give is trying to stop the flow of um, and a lot of times that will kind of click with people. And so another question, Allie, are Kegels always the answer? No, no. So that's an, another thing is they'll be like, hey, I've been doing all my Kegels. I don't know why I'm not getting better. And I'll be like, I'll, we'll do the internal assessment. And it's like, oh, no, we, we need to back off some Kegels. I, um, Kegels are not the answer for you because 
if your pelvic floor has um, tension, so it can be just like any other muscle in your body. Like if your hamstring is tight and tense, what is what do you have to do? You have to stretch it. Um, and that's pretty much what what you have to do with the pelvic floor is you need to figure out how are we going to stretch this muscle? Um, because if you continuously contract a muscle and you're never fully relaxing between each contraction, your muscle is just becoming more and more tense. And that's that is not being productive. It's almost being counterproductive. So Kegels are not always the answer. And, you know, both of those situations could be why you're having leaking, either increased tension or weakness, as Allie said. And this is why it's super important to get assessed because you don't necessarily know what side of that spectrum you're on and what you have to do in order to help yourself get better. Um, Allie, do you find it necessary to use external resistance in order to achieve progressive overload or do you usually go more based on position and resisting pressurization? Um, I do it based on the position most of the time. Um, and like I, it, it, it depends on the patient and, um, what their ultimate goal is. That was kind of vague, but (laughs) (laughs) it depends. That's like PT school though. I know it depends. (laughs) It depends. So, um, for (sighs) perhaps like the yogi out there or somebody who's a little bit more in tune and in touch, saying, hey, you know, my friend had these and recommended them, or I saw an ad for these Kegel weights online, or whatever it might be. Um, I will say I don't typically recommend Kegel weights, um, and that is just because I don't find it as functional versus something like doing um, pelvic floor strengthening with whatever movement is causing you to leak. Um, I just, I tend to be more functional-based, um, and so I don't usually recommend Kegels because I because I think there's other ways that we can start to address um, address your weakness based not with Kegel weights. And sometimes I find too is that when someone begins to use a Kegel weight, they think that they have to squeeze all the time, and that's also not not ideal. And oh yeah, like they'll be like, I just need to squeeze all the time, and if I'm squeezing all the time, I must be getting stronger. Well, <laughs> not necessarily. If you're squeezing all the time, you might be causing more tension. Um, so it's just as, imp- I always say this, uh, as much as it is for a good, um, like contraction and a nice strong contraction, it's equally as important for that muscle to fully relax. Um, so it's, it's, you need both. Yeah, I agree, Allie. I, I just want to make sure we address that topic. Um, but putting it back into perspective, you know, when are you using your pelvic floor to hold something inside of your body during your squats or whatever it might be versus, you're just in those positions and the pelvic floor is functioning to try to resist or attenuate or whatever it might be that force of the pressure. Um, so, you know, training right. in specific positions, maybe a little bit more functional rather than using weights. So real quick, Allie, I did want to touch on something you mentioned earlier. Um, as far as breathing goes and, you know, placing it within this whole core stabilization, pelvic floor contraction, et cetera, how is that barrel supposed to move? So can you just kind of touch on that a little bit? Talking about like diaphragmatic Yeah, excursion. like diaphragmatic, ex- yes. Like diaphragmatic breathing? Yeah. yeah. You know, what's the normal for that? So when you're looking, when I, when, so when I go and assess somebody's breathing, um, I'm usually having them lit, and this isn't always um, 
necessarily functional, but this is just how I assess somebody initially is I am having them um, laying down and hook lying and I'm just watching them breathe. And so I'm looking at, are they a chest breather? Are they predominantly breathing upwards from their chest or are they breathing more through and I don't like to call it necessarily call it belly breathing because it's not like you're breathing through your, you're not breathing with your belly, you're breathing with your diaphragm. And that diaphragm is located kind of near where your belly is. So I don't, I, I, I am looking to see how your belly is moving. Is your belly moving up and down? Because if it is, that means that you're using your diaphragm versus if you're heavily using your if your chest is moving up and down, you're probably using a lot of your accessory muscles that are up in your upper chest that you're using to help breathe instead of that diaphragm. Um, and I also, I really like to, I'm a big rib person and I really like to look at somebody's ribs and how they are moving or somebody's ribs flared out and are they not moving with their, with their belly and their diaphragm when they're breathing or are those ribs coming in each time that they breathe and coming out? So that's usually what I will look at first, and I'll look at it right when they're laying down. And as if they got, if they have a pretty good, um, if they have a pretty good uh, breathing mechanism laying down, then I'll start to look at it in other functional positions. But that's usually what I do the first time. Yeah, that's awesome. So just, I guess, one more thing, Allie, if you wouldn't mind, and then we'll start wrapping up. I just want to address pregnant women, and you know, do you treat pregnant women? Do you help them get through pregnancy and help them with exercises and help them understand what they can and can't do? What does that look like for you right now? So, yes, we most definitely treat um, individuals throughout their pregnancy. Um, so I'll kind of I'll kind of touch on a couple of different things that I have personally seen um, is sometimes I'll have a high frequency of pregnant patients come in with um sacroiliac joint pain. Um, because, um, during pregnancy, you're releasing a lot of hormones and one of them is relaxin, which is helping it make everything nice and relaxed for delivery, which is also making those ligaments a little bit uh, more relaxed. Um, and that can cause some dysfunction within someone's sacroiliac joint. Um, so I see probably that's like the number one thing that I will see during pregnancy is that people are coming in with and they might come in, they might say they're coming in with low back pain, and I will diagnose it as sacroiliac pain. Um, that's probably probably the number one thing that I will see. Um, I also have treated some patients that actually had pelvic pain during pregnancy. Um, and that can be a little bit trickier, um, but more than welcome to come to pelvic floor physical therapy and we'll help work you through it. And hopefully the end goal would be to have an easier delivery. Um, and I have even had some patients just come in and say, Hey, I'm pregnant. What exercises are safe for me? Um, cause they just, they, they're not sure. They're not sure what they, what they can do or what they should be doing. So we'll go through, we'll kind of see where their, um, where their previous exercise history was, and then kind of go from like, well, this is what I think you should start doing, or this is how you can modify some of the stuff you're doing right now um, to show better mechanics when you're doing it. Um, but that's kind of what I generally see during during pregnancy um, so far. Perfect, perfect. Um, yeah, so it's super important to go. I would say I think it's, it's good just so for, good. I would say it's good if you're pregnant just to go for the education on yeah. you know prepartum what should i be doing Absolutely. what can i expect postpartum what is my, again 
what the hell is my pelvic floor, right? <laughs> um, and how might that be impacted by the birthing process? And what are my options afterwards if I do experience some kind of uh, complications or anything like that? So I think that'd be invaluable, I, even if you're doing great as a pregnant mom. Yeah, I would absolutely really. love, I, I just, I was agreeing with you. I, I would absolutely love to see that. Um, just because, you know, your body is going through so many changes. Um, and then after you have the baby again, your body goes through so many changes and just to be educated on, right. You know what I mean? What a pelvic, what your pelvic floor is, how it's impacted during birth, how it's impacted even during pregnancy alone. Um, and then I always say, you know, it's always easier to learn something, um, before you either have surgery or you go through the, go through, um, go through birth. Um, like it'll be easier for you to know how to do a Kegel after you give birth, if you know how to do it before. So making even just education on like making sure you know how to do a Kegel so that when after birth, you know what it should feel like. And sometimes that can just make the recovery that much faster. Yeah. Yeah. An an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of treatment. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. Lastly, uh, we'll wrap (laughs) up real quick, I guess is um resources for people so um even if you don't maybe want to seek out a public health specialist just yet you may want to look and see if there's anybody in your area and you want to look and see you know if there's any references you want to read about your public floor stuff like that where would you direct somebody to go for that so uh if you want to find somebody in your area um herman and wallace um they have a section on their page that you can find a clinician in your area um the APTA, um, the Pelvic Health Academy, also has a section where um, you can find a pelvic health physical therapist in your area. Um, you, the physical therapist, has to register through them. Um, but if they're registered on that on that page, if you type in your area, you'll find all the local providers that could provide services to you. Um, you can well, link these in the podcast. Yeah, right? we'll link those for sure. And then I yeah. guess. Yeah. We'll wrap up. Uh, Allie, that was so awesome. I'm so happy we had you come yeah, on. Yeah, thank you. That was so good. How can um, how can people find you, Allie, if they wanted to reach out to you and ask you questions? Oh, no. Thank you, guys. It was awesome. Um, so, I mean, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Um, you're more than welcome to reach out through to get a hold of me through there. Um, in my email, and you can put my email in. Um, the, the show notes yeah the show notes. yeah yeah absolutely either way, either way whatever is easiest for for all of you listening um i'd be ha- more than happy to answer any questions Perfect. that anybody has thank you Allie. you are the best and anyone listening you know thank you so much for taking your time to listen to us talk and if you have any questions or any input please um just message us on instagram or send us an email Instagram, we're at Renegade Movement, and that's Renegade MVMT. And our email is the same, Renegade Movement MVMT at gmail.com. Thanks again, Allie, for coming on, and we'll be back next week.